Thanks for listening to this week's sermon from Epicos Church in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. For more information about Epicos, please visit epicos.org. Well, good morning, Epicos. How are we doing today? I'm Jacob Machowski, one of your pastors here at Epicos Church. It's so wonderful to worship with you here today. And so I just want to also give a special warm welcome to the church joining us in Sherman Park, Mayfair Road, and those of you joining us and tuning in online. Thank you for being here today. We're going to be diving back into our Exodus series. So grab that study guide. If you have a Bible, I encourage you, grab it. Turn to Exodus chapter 3. If you're using one of the hardback black Bibles around you, it'll be on page 40. Or 46 for you, sorry, page 46. Um, but we're going to be in Exodus chapter 3 today. So as we continue this Exodus series, let's recap where we've come so far. The book of Exodus is the second book of a five-part series of books called the Pentateuch that start your Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so we've already begun to see how Exodus continues to look at how God's working through fulfilling his promises. More specifically, Um, promise of land, the land of Canaan to the Israelite people. Um, Secondly, the promise of a great nation and a people coming from the man named Abraham, which is the nation of Israel. And thirdly, the promise of a savior, one that's going to destroy the curse of sin that was brought on humanity in the Garden of Eden and the serpent and crush him once and for all. And so in our narrative of Exodus, we've actually shifted focus. We've shifted focus from this nation of Israel as a whole, and we've gone down to this one man named Moses. So as this people has been enslaved in Egypt, we're focusing on this man named Moses. And we saw how he was rescued from the Nile River. And as the Israelite baby, b- babies were supposed to be killed in Egypt, he was rescued and pulled out of the water and brought into Pharaoh's household. Then we watched as Moses murders an Egyptian man who was beating a fellow Israelite, a slave, and he fled to the land of Midian. And so here we find Moses. He set up a nice little quiet life for himself, hasn't he? A little quiet life. He found a wife. He has children. He's growing a family. He's a very modest profession as a shepherd, living way off the grid, far away from Egyptian authorities that may want to find him and seize him and have him come to justice. And that brings us to Exodus chapter 3 where we will be looking at a very interesting interaction we have where God disrupts Moses' happy little life and he invites him into something more. And I believe that we can learn a lot from this narrative today as we're looking at Exodus chapter 3 and discerning if God may be calling us into something more and trying to get our attention. And so I think Exodus 3 can be a model for us on how we can discern God's voice in our lives and follow it. So let's dive right in. Exodus 3, starting in verse 1. Now Moses was keeping a flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. What is Moses doing here, right? We, we, we mentioned earlier that he is a shepherd, so he is keeping a flock here, and he is shepherding these sheep. And, and in the wilderness... A desert, a deserted place, a place of solitude, trying to find grazing land for his father-in-law's sheep. What do you think is going to happen next? Read on, verse 2. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Okay, this is a very strange, strange incident, isn't it? In this cave, or we see that, that this bush is on fire, or this shrub is on fire, and Moses sees this, and he might have saw it at first and didn't think much of it, but he, he continues to notice, hey, that, that, that little bush is still on fire. That bush is still burning. So then he goes to investigate it. And it's burning. And you see that the fire is consuming it, but it's not charring it. It's not, um, it's not creating ash. And then to Moses' surprise, this bush calls out to him, right? And he says his name. Now, how does this tree know even who I am, Moses might be thinking. And, and, probably, is, and probably Moses is probably as shocked as you or I would be here. See, like, trees don't have a habit of talking to you. We don't live in the land of Lord of the Rings with ants and things talking to us, right? And I love Moses' response. What is it? Here I am? <laughs> like, uh, yeah? You know, yeah I'm, just, I'm just here. I'm just acknowledging, okay, you're a talking tree. That's very interesting. And I think we're going to see here from this interaction the importance of hearing the voice of God. If you're a note taker, I'll encourage you to write that down in your notes. Hearing the voice of God. That's the first thing we're going to explore in this brief little interaction here in the beginning. There's no doubt that this is God himself audibly speaking to Moses. The flame is identified as the angel of the Lord. And now this phrase, angel of the Lord, is a very interesting one throughout the Old Testament. It is used interchangeably to refer to the Lord himself or God himself, the angel of the Lord and the Lord. And some think that this phrase, angel of the Lord, could be, uh, could be pointing to a divine angelic messenger or even a pre-incarnate Jesus. And to be honest with you, I don't know for sure what the Old Testament authors are getting at with the use of the angel of the Lord and the Lord, but I know, and we know here from this passage specifically in verse four, it says that the Lord saw Moses and he spoke to him. And so we see here that the Lord has gotten Moses' attention. And the Lord continues, verse five. Then he said, do not come near. Take off your sandals, off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. And so the Lord commands Moses, take your sandals off. A common custom in that day, anytime you'd enter into uh, an ancient household like this, you would take off your shoes and take off your sandals. And then we think a little bit about like, what was Moses' profession, Right? He was a shepherd. He watched sheep. He stepped in sheep stuff, right? He stepped in things. And, and there's an aspect here where this place is so holy. This place is so special that it was not to be defiled by what was on Moses' shoes. And the Lord tells Moses to do this because this place is holy ground. Now for something to be holy means that it's to be set apart for a unique and specific and special purpose. The very ground in this scene here where this bush is, is special. 
It's unique. It's holy. And it's the special place where God's presence dwells. And this is a unique time where he is going to audibly speak to Moses. And so we see some interesting details about hearing God here. First of all, Moses is in a solitary place, a quiet wilderness, retreating from the noise and busyness of the world. And is that something that you even have in your life as you're in the busyness and noise of this world? We also see that God didn't speak to Moses until Moses' attention was directed to the bush. Did you notice that? Are you giving God your attention in life? And then we saw also how God spoke in a special place, set apart for God to interact with Moses, a holy ground, if you will. How can we find these special, holy, solitary places in our life? Locations or even brief periods of time where we can direct our attention to God and dedicate time to listening to him speak to us. I mean, I personally enjoy going for walks, even in my neighborhood, and just walking without the AirPods in, right? And just taking in around me and having a conversation with God in that time. I even, uh, I like to enjoy waking up early before my kids get up, because that's a zoo and that's craziness, getting up early before them and just dedicating that time to either reading my scriptures, prayer, even sitting in silent prayer and just pondering and thinking about God. I've, 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 I've really enjoyed those times and I feel like God's inviting me into those moments in my life. But before we move on, I'd just like to talk a little bit about this idea of hearing an audible voice of God. Now personally, I, I do not think I've ever heard an audible voice from God in my life. And I'm usually hesitant um, when I hear other people even tell me that they've heard an audible voice like that, especially in our secular age, it's something that, that is, is shocking to me and sometimes. And so pastorally, if I've ever heard anyone across, across from me say, God told me this, um, sometimes I feel like people play that as a trump card. How am I supposed to pastorally speak into a situation if you say, well, God told you that, so I guess, okay, I guess, you know? But if God speaking in an audible voice is a part of your story and it has been very influential in your life, I do want to celebrate that with you. Um, I'm grateful that God has reached out to you in this way. It's just not something I have personally experienced. And I do not want to limit God. I believe that God can still speak audibly in this day, but I always walk in caution. If you think God is speaking to you, don't say, God told me this. Say instead, I think God may be saying this and having an approach and a posture with humility. Test it against what the scriptures say because they will never contradict. What God says and what his word says will never contradict. And talk to other believers about it. Talk about it together with with other people that you know in your community to help you discern. So I want to illustrate this in a way in which I've seen this play out in my life personally. Um, Though I've never heard this audible voice, I have felt God leading me, and so I want to share a story with you. Um, It was the summer of 2011. Um, I was involved in helping the student ministry at our church. We called it the the youth group. Um, And we took these students on a week-long camping trip to lower Michigan. And it was a blast. And during this time, I really, I really, it was one of my first times when I was like really plugged into ministry as a leader and was pouring into these students, you know, just starting college um, and just like really pouring into these students' lives and getting to know them and point them to Jesus and pastor them. 
And upon returning, I was reading a book by a Christian author and it encouraged me to get out in creation, to marvel at God. So I went out for a walk and I was noticing all these really cool things in creation about how, how God just really orchestrated and how he, he artistically created all these things. And I couldn't help get that camping week out of my mind. I tried to bring it back to focusing on God and God kept bringing that camping trip to my mind. And even though I tried to focus back on the walk, this camping trip kept coming to the forefront. And I thought, man, that's really weird. And as I continued to ponder this thought, I allowed it to, to, to come and consume my mind for a bit. I felt God leading my mind to think about what would, what would it look like, Jacob, for you to do this full time? What would it look like, Jacob, for you to be fully in ministry? and a part of my church. And that scared me half to death. You know what I'm saying? That scared me. I was already pursuing a degree in accounting. I already had one year of, of college just about under my belt. And I never thought about giving my life over to God in this way, but I couldn't shake that feeling that this is where God was leading me. Now, connecting this back to Moses, I also, I got away in this quiet place, this place of solitude on this walk. I focused my attention on God by looking and marveling at his creation, and I think he called out to me, and I believe he called out to me in that moment. And even after that time, when I did have this experience, I still took time to process it. I continued to pray, to talk about it with some of the people from my church who actually affirmed. They were like, yeah, we saw this in you a long time ago. You finally woke up to it, Jacob. Good. You know? But they, they affirmed those things because I went to them humbly and said, I think God's leading me in this way. And the trajectory of my life changed in the years to come. I mean, I even still finished my last year of community college with my accounting degree. I used that as a, like a missions opportunity and then went to Bible college the year after that. And I took time to really discern that. And so it's one thing to hear this voice of God, right, that we see here in Exodus 3. But Exodus 3 is going to go on to show us who is the one that's actually talking. Who is the God behind this voice? And we're going to see the power of God. So that's your next point that you can write down, the power of God, the power that's behind that voice. Moses has a proper response to this powerful God, doesn't he? At the end of verse six, it says he hides his face from the bush. He's afraid to even look at God. He now realizes who is actually talking to him. But the voice goes on, verse seven. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land to a good and broad land, a land that's flowing with milk and honey to a place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me and I also have seen the oppression with, with which the Egyptians oppressed oppress them. This is where we actually left off last week. God sees, he knows, and he cares for his people. God saw the suffering of his people and he reacted to it. He hears their cries of affliction and God is going to deliver them from their oppression. And not just deliverance, but you also notice that he talks about the idea of blessing here, doesn't he? The idea of blessing to a good and broad land, a land flowing with what? Milk and honey. A land flowing with milk and honey. Now in that day, what, what makes milk and honey, right? Honey is made by bees, right? And in that day, it was more commonly to have goats than even cows for producing milk. A land full of goats and bees, <laughs> is what God is saying here. 
And I can totally see someone in River West having a goat, you know, in their yard or something, bleeding at the wee hours of the night. And then I can totally see somewhere Jared and Laura Kraft are, are celebrating because we're mentioning beekeeping from the stage, right? But this is a picture of how this land that God is promising them is naturally flowing with resources without any cultivation or any human tending. That this land is just oozing milk and honey, a land that's flowing with it. It's prosperous and blessed without humans having to do anything in it. And this displays the power of God because this is a tall order that God says he is going to give them this land that is ripe with potential. And you can imagine Moses might be here for it. He might be nodding along. He might be even getting excited. We just saw Moses too had empathy for his enslaved brothers and sisters in Egypt. He sought to deliver them by taking a life, trying to do it of his, of his own power. And now he agrees with this decision of God to go and deliver this people. But now God is going to invite him to deliver the people in a different way. Look at verse 10. Come. I will send you, Moses, to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Uh oh. <laughs> but Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Moses doesn't believe that he should be the one to deliver these people. And there's two things specifically, I think, that are hindering him in his mind and his heart. God is sending him to Pharaoh in Egypt, right? God is asking Moses to face his past. A past in which Moses is trying to run away from, isn't he? Maybe some of you here today can resonate with that feeling. You may have a past you want to leave behind and forget, but God here is calling Moses to face his past. And you know what? That is absolutely terrifying. Secondly, we see that there's a lot of self-doubt in Moses that he's dealing with, right? I mean, look, he says, who am I? He thinks he's a nobody. I should go to Pharaoh, the guy who tried to kill me and ran me out of town, and you know what, I can agree with Moses. He's a former Israelite who is taken in as a foundling, a former slave, invited into the king's household in Egypt. He murdered a fellow citizen and is now a fugitive on the run for, from the law. I don't think he'd be hired and get through the background check here at Epicos. And just like some of you might resonate with that feeling of facing your past, you may resonate with these feelings. How can God use me? Feelings of self-doubt. How could God use me in this way? I'm just an ordinary person. And I think just like God spoke to Moses thousands of years ago, he is also responding to your thoughts this morning. Look at verse 12. God said, but I will be with you. I will be with you. Dealing with the pain of our past, facing it head on is scary, but you don't have to face it alone. God is with you in the pain. His care and comfort can be felt even in the darkest nights of the soul. And, and though you are an ordinary person, God is far from it. He is extraordinary. He is the all-powerful God of this universe that is in the business of taking ordinary people like you and me and doing extraordinary things through his power and his will. And that is what he's going to do with Moses. And that is what he can do with you if you trust his 
voice. Let's continue on in verse 12. God said, but I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. This is a very important detail that God wants Moses to bring Israel back here. This is going to be the special holy place where actually Mount Sinai is, and that's going to be taking place the the second half of the book of Exodus, but we have to read on. Moses is not satisfied with God's response. Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now Moses, in a sense, is asking God, well, who are you? And God's response to this first question, his first response here is in verse 14 where God reveals his name. I am who I am, or tell them I am has sent you. Now I just graduated from from seminary this past weekend and I can't help myself. I wanna teach you a Hebrew word, all right? So we're gonna look at that word I am. It's actually a Hebrew verb. The verb's hayah, and here it's pronounced ehye. Can you say that? Ehye. One more time, ehye. You have coffee breath? People can smile, okay? What that means is I am or I will be. It has a present sense, but can also be taken in a future sense as as well. I am or I will be. So now now when Moses takes this word, Echia, and he goes to Israel to tell them that God's name, he's not going to actually say I am, because that'd be very self-serving of Moses. What he's going to say is he is or he will be, which is pronounced Echveh. Can you do that? Echveh. Good job, good job. You spoke Hebrew. And this is more commonly in our modern day referred to as Yahweh. So Echia, Yahweh. Echia, Yahweh, Yahweh. And so Yahweh is this personal, divine name of God that is present here in this text. And so anytime you read your Bible and you see the Lord in all caps, L-O-R-D, that is the personal divine name Yahweh written in the scriptures. So I occasionally in my personal Bible reading will actually flip that out. And I see Lord in all caps, I'll say Yahweh to be reminded of this interaction, to be reminded of the personal name of God. And how is this name working? On one level, we see it as the verb itself. I am or I will be reveals the essence, the character and the nature of our God. Going back to the promise in verse 12 of I will be with you, his name literally says I am or I will be. This name proves it. Yahweh is saying, I am truly he who exists and who will continue to exist and be radically present with you in any situation in which I'm sending you. And Yahweh will be a God who is always consistent, never changing, and always there. That's what this name means. A God who is always there and never changing. So on another level though, God is also giving his creation his personal name. It says this is to be God's name forever, a name denoting God's person, character, authority, power, and reputation to be passed down from generation to generation. And Yahweh is giving this name to Moses. And Moses will go on to be a mouthpiece for Yahweh, bearing that name and representing him to the world around him. What a special, special privilege that is. 
So back in our narrative, we see Moses ask God, ask Yahweh, well, who are you? And his first response is to reveal this powerful name. The second response we find in verse 15. Look at verse 15. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go, gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with goats and bees. Yahweh responds to Moses by focusing on who he is in history, right? You see that there in verses 15 through 16, his past. I am the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to be remembered throughout all these generations, past, present, and also his future. Look at verses 16 through 17. I have observed and I promise I'm going to deliver you. I will do this and I will give you this land that's flowing with milk and honey. And so this is what God is rooting his power in, his name and who he is, past, present, and future. And now that we've explored what it's like to discern God's voice, we saw his power, Moses is going to be getting a glimpse into the future of where Yahweh is going to be, show him his path is going to look like. Look at verse 18. And they, that's the Israelites, they will listen to your voice, Moses. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. We're gonna see here our final point is following the voice of God. Following the voice of God. We stopped here we see that the road forward in Yahweh is a difficult path. Moses is going to have to confront Pharaoh. He's going to have to face his past, the present, and the present ruler of Egypt, and he's going to have to present him with a demand that these enslaved people are allowed to leave the city on a three days journey to go sacrifice and worship. How do you think that's going to go, <laughs> Right? terrible. And Yahweh tells him, it's going to go terrible. <laughs> he says, Pharaoh will not listen to you unless he's compelled by a mighty hand. This path forward is not going to be easy. But, look at verse 20. So I, Yahweh talking, I will stretch out my hand. I will strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And you shall put them on your sons and your daughters so that you shall plunder the Egyptians. See, even though the path forward will not be easy, it will be rewarding. Yahweh is going to make it happen in verse 20, striking the Egyptians, and the Israelites are going to leave with favor. What's really interesting here is the focus on women, right? The women whose children were discarded in the Nile River 
will be able to go to their Egyptian neighbor and say, can I have some gold? Can I have some silver? Can I have some clothes? And they're going to willingly offer it. These, these women who were horribly persecuted by having their children cast into the Nile in a grand reversal in God's justice is gonna allow them to be favored in this land and to this people. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful picture of God. And that's the end of our text here today. And so we, we focused on this Yahweh coming to Moses and inviting him to be used by him for something special and amazing. How do you think that Moses is gonna to respond to this moment, right? But we see a little bit of Moses' response here where he's very hesitant. We're going to see even more of that next week. So I encourage you to come next week and as we, as we read on and study this passage together, how Moses really feels about this whole thing and how God interacts with him. But before we close the book and close the scriptures here today, I want us to recap where we've come and see how we can bring this ancient text into our modern lives. So we first saw about this idea of hearing the voice of God. In Exodus, this was Moses going to a solitary wilderness, God supernaturally revealing himself to him and inviting him into something more. And we know that it's a special, unique place where God is meeting Moses. Can I invite you this week to apply this to our lives by finding time to find a solitary place this week? Turn off the radio in your car on the way to work and use that as a moment to pray. Is there a place in your house that's solitary that you can use? Maybe it's a zoo like mine. Maybe you got to get their alarm clock a little bit earlier, just 10, 15 minutes earlier. Wake up before your kids or your dog or whatever. I used to, I used to do this a lot with, to do my schoolwork, and I'm really looking forward to now that I'm graduating and moving past that to dedicating that time to God now, um, where I was dedicating it to God before because obviously my schoolwork was focused on studying God, but doing that and having focused time of meditation. I also enjoy going for walks. Take a walk this week without your AirPods. I check the weather. It's gonna be a little rainy in the beginning of the week, but the end of the week is supposed to be beautiful. Plan, plan a walk. Plan a walk in the morning or in the evening. I have to say the weather's gonna be great. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just looked at a wrong spot in my notes. Continue on. Okay, we can get distracted by our life as well. So I find my times with, when I'm distracted, especially in times of prayer, my mind will be drifting into the past or the future, and I find my mind going away from things and not focusing on God. Some, some ways in which I've brought my mind back is through something called a breath prayer, which is taking a simple phrase that focuses on God and mapping that onto your breath and drawing your mind back to him. My, my favorite phrase that I've been using a lot recently is, I rest in you. I rest in you. And so when I find my mind drifting in prayer, I repeat that phrase and it brings it back. Now, now realize that your quiet time, your time with God is a sacred special place to be encountering him. Take off your sandals and pay attention to him. Second thing that we saw today is the idea of following the voice of God. I wanna encourage you, do this in a discerning way. If you feel like God is leading you into something, <clears throat> sorry, approach hearing God humbly. Check it against the scriptures. Make sure they don't co conflict. Ask others in, in your community, whether that's your small group, your friends, your family who follow Jesus and see if, if this is a, a right way and a right action to take. But know also when we follow God, the path forward is not always easy. In Exodus, Moses saw the scary path forward. Pharaoh, the conflict in Egypt. And following God is not always easy. There will be hard times on the horizon. I think about my life in the past, past month or so. 
Eastside campus closure, how it affected our church, how it affected even me personally and my family and how there was a real prospect where I was gonna have to go out looking for jobs, contemplating even moving in the future. It was very scary having to maybe even possibly relocate. And it's, it's terrifying and difficult, but I mean, I praise the Lord that he has provided a way for me to stay here at Epicos. If you don't know, I've accepted a role as the next steps pastor here. And so I have officially gonna be staying here. And so moving forward, that's, that's a great blessing. But even if, if that didn't happen, I can still move forward knowing that God is good. We saw that here that there's favor and there's reward in following the voice of God. In Exodus, it was very material. Silver, gold, clothing, a land of milk and honey. But mapping that philosophy onto our day and time, that's called the prosperity gospel. And I believe that's strongly opposed to what the true gospel is of Jesus. The life of Jesus, we show that he, he died on a cross, naked and penniless. It was not about material blessing. Now, these, there, there is material blessings, as we see to following Jesus, material things like great core relationships with others and even financial help during difficult seasons that the church can provide, but therefore the corporate church as a whole, not for individualist consumption. They're for the corporate church as a whole, not for individuals to consume. And this is where the prosperity gospel gets it wrong. The true reward of following Yahweh, even in the darkest of times, is the new life you've already received in Christ and the true blessing is having a deeper, deeper faith with Yahweh. During those trying times, and I've experienced them over these last couple months, being rooted in him will produce deep faith that can last your lifetime. Your relationship will grow stronger and closer than you ever imagined. And when you are depending on God, you love him deeper than you could ever love any human in this world. And that is the true reward for going through trials, having a deep-rooted faith. Lastly, we saw the power of our God. The only way that you can be carried through the darkest of times is if you know there is power behind that voice. We see this throughout history. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob has shown his power and faithfulness throughout time and the generations, and he'll be remembered throughout. But we also see it in the name of God. Yahweh, which is a special and personal name itself. I am and I will be. It points to the everlasting presence and comfort of Yahweh in our lives, that he is the personal God who sees us, who knows us, and who cares for us. And we are so blessed to have a God where we can actually know his name, and he wants to know who we are as well. Behold, this is your God, and his name is Yahweh. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you on this, on this day as we read your word here today to see your power on display. Lord, I pray that this power would sink down deep into our soul, that we would see how good and true and powerful that you are in our lives, and that it would give us confidence moving forward, knowing that you are a God who continually, continually works in powerful ways. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters here today that you would allow them to find the space and the time to get alone. Get alone with you. Focus their attention on you as their God 
and that you would just guard their time for that and that you would lead us, lead us as a church into great and mighty things. Lead us in, as, a, as a church to seek your will in our lives, to follow you to the end of, this, end of the age, knowing with confidence that you are our God who loves us and personally wants to be there for us. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.